Amen. We are finishing up a series on the life of Moses together. The series uh, has been called Moses, A Story of Doubt and Deliverance. And we're moving on to a new series in October. I've been giving you clues about this new series. Does anybody remember what the clues were? The first clue was that it ends in uh, an ass. And the second clue was that it involves a... See, this side of the room is paying attention. Nobody over here is talking. Uh, The third clue is that the book of the Bible is named after a city. After a city. That rules out a few of them that end with an S, but there's still some mystery to it all. And so you're going to have to keep coming if you want to learn what the next series is going to be. It's going to be a very powerful series involving a very powerful book. We are in the last few sermons on Moses' life, one of the greatest lives that has ever been lived. Last week, the sermon was called Famous Last Words, and we heard what Moses had to say to the people. Uh, Today, it's called Encore, Encore, because we are actually going to talk about the passing of Moses and then the surprise that happens in the New Testament. I want to begin this sermon by reading from a psalm that Moses wrote. Did you know that Moses wrote a psalm? Did you know that? And in Psalm 90, Moses uh, wrote a psalm, a prayer, a song, that the psalms were the old hymn book of the Old Testament, and then we'll get into the sermon, and we'll actually come back to some of these verses in the sermon. But here's what Moses wrote. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. We are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. There are so many themes in this amazing psalm. But Moses talks about the brevity of life. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. He talks about the problem of sin, who considers the power of your anger. He talks about the mercy and pity of God. And in the end, he wants his life to count. Establish the work of our, of our hands. This is a man who would live to be 120 years old. He didn't have a short life. And yet he talks about how quick life is by comparison to eternity. Today we'll see the death of Moses 
and we'll evaluate the life of Moses, and we will have a chance to think about our own mortality and our own eternity, which will soon be here. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Thank you, Father, for your Word, which sometimes historically, sometimes poetically, deals with the themes that are on our heart, themes of life and death, of sin, themes of your faithfulness and eternity. We pray today that you would open our eyes to see what your plan is for us in this world and in the next world. We pray that we would learn this from Moses, who was faithful in all your house. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to go to Deuteronomy 34, and then we're going to go to Matthew 17. Deuteronomy 34 is the last chapter of Deuteronomy. Matthew 17. In Deuteronomy, the headline reads, The Death of Moses. The Death of Moses. It says, Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, Manasseh, the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died. There in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley, in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his servants, and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. What we have here is a eulogy for Moses, a description of the amazing things he did. And we also have history of how God led him up the mountain and showed him the land of Israel. <clears throat> Just to remind you what happened, God promised to lead the Israelites into a land flowing with milk and honey. This would be the land of Israel. They were delivered from Egypt. They were marched across the wilderness, and then they failed to go in because of their lack of faith. God punished them. Remember the spies? God punished them and said, you will live and die in the wilderness for 40 years because you would not go in. So the whole generation, 20 and up, died, and now the new generation has grown up, and they're about to take the land. There is no Israel. There is no Jerusalem. There's none of that yet. They're looking into it. And God took Moses up a high mountain and showed him the land and said, I promised to Abraham I would give him this land, and now I'm about to keep my promise. I'll let you see it, but you can't go in. Moses couldn't go in because he fumbled the ball on the last drive. He made an error in the last inning. He struck the rock, and God said, that's it. That's it. You're not going in to that land. God would be faithful, and God would be faithful even though Moses, one of the greatest men who ever lived, was not with the Israelites. It says here, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died. Wow. 
Number one, you can jot this question down. Is your soul prepared for departure? Moses honored God for 120 years, but he had to be ready to go. Even though Moses did remarkable things in Egypt, even though he was raised in the palace, even though he led the people for 40 years in the wilderness, he died. He died. Remember where death came from. We were not intended to die. In the Garden of Eden, God warned Adam and Eve, if you eat of it, you will surely die. A careful reading of the text will show that man was not innately uh, undying. The, the way God made provision for man to not die was called the tree of life, which means from the beginning, the source of living forever was not within us. It was something God had to provide. <clears throat> and the access to that came by faith and obedience. You obey and you have access to some life that your body is not naturally capable of enjoying. And then they sinned, so they were cut off from the tree of life, and their faith failed. And so they died, and so Moses died. And we have to be ready when our time comes. When we were at Silver Birch Ranch several years ago, my son, who was smaller back then, was trash-talking on the sand volleyball court. He gets it from me. He was out there trash-talking, but he was a little young, so he didn't quite have the words together. And so he said, are you ready for your turn to be dead He said that to his opponents. (laughs) You ready for your turn to be dead? So polite. That's a funny way of saying, are you ready to go? Are, Are you ready? Are you ready for when your time comes? Are you ready for when your time comes? Psalm 90, verses 9 to 13. Let's remind ourselves what that says. We'll put that on the screen. It says this, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. What's life like? It's like, The years of our life are 70, even by reason of strength, maybe you'll get 80 years. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger, your wrath according to the fear of you? So, what a prayer. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Number your days. Number your days. There is a day circled on the calendar in the future and that's game over for you. God knows it. It says that he knew all of your days before even one of them came to be, and that day is probably sooner than you would like it to be. It always seems too soon. But your day will come. Are you prepared for departure? Moses dying and his writing about dying and aging alerts us to the brevity of life. In Psalm 90, he refers to life as like a dream. Like a dream. You just wake up and, and it's over. Like a sigh. He refers to life like it's grass. Like it, it's grass. It grows and then it's dead. And then it's dead. The brevity of life should make us to number our days and to prepare for the undying realm. God gave Moses one last mountaintop moment of faith. Here we see a faithful God keeping his promise. He told Moses he would show him the land. He told Moses that he would receive him into eternity, and God kept his promise. It says Moses died according to the word of the Lord. Um, We also see a God keeping his promise to men who had died long before, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're going back four or five hundred years, and God is still talking about these men as he's keeping his promise to them. We see a faithful God. Moses saw a country, a hope, a future, an impossible task. How will they take this land without me? 
And God had no problem with that. Is your soul ready for departure? Well, how can it be? Jot this down. Age well by maturing in faith. Age well by maturing in faith. As you age, God wants you to grow up. As you age, God wants you to grow up in every way. Paul talked about putting childish ways behind him, and it's sad to see that in our culture there is this glorification of adolescence. Glorification of adolescence, which is why we have so many men who act like children. And they never are... I was talking to a man from our church a few weeks ago, and he really ministered to me. He said, Pastor Ryan, society is not calling men up anymore. I said, amen. Amen. That's true. And, and this prolonged adolescence, people who want to take the junior high experience and stretch it on to their retirement is hurting the church, families, children, wives, and the world. So when I say age well, it means wanting to grow up. Many people who age, even if you were raised in the church, many people who age decide to cast off restraint and start speaking less maturely and, and start to indulge in habits that children, uh, you know, they, they act more childish and, and their dream, their longing, their aspirations in life is to just be young again. And that's the opposite of what God has for you. We want to age well by maturing in faith, not becoming adolescents again. In Psalm 90, 14 to 17, here's what Moses wrote, reviewing this. Go ahead and put that up on the screen. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the prayer of a man who wants his life to count. He wants his children to grow up and to do amazing things. Uh, this is a person who wants to mature and to be established. You know, last year I turned 40. 40, which gets me a lot more street cred in the world because I can talk about people my age now because I'm, I'm 40. Someone just came up to me this morning and said, I'm seeing a lot more gray in somebody's hair these days. That's true. That's wisdom right here for all to see. You see it? 40. It hit me. I'm going to turn 41 soon. I read a quote from Victor Hugo. He said, 40 is the old age of youth. 50 is the youth of old age. That's so pretty. <laughs> I've got 10 more years to be young, and then, and then 10 more years after that to be young in old age, right? I read a quote by a woman named Laura Marling. I don't even know who she is, but her quote resonated with me. She said, I've been quite fascinated by the relative insignificance of human existence, the shortness of life. We might as well be a letter in a word, in a sentence on a page, in a book, in a library, in a city, in one country, in this enormous universe, and that kind of fear and insignificance has kept me awake at night. I feel like it must be universal. Everybody must know that somewhere. She's describing the feeling of being so small. I'm, I'm just the letter O on that page, in this library, in this city, in this world, in this universe. I feel so small. Moses gets that. But he aged well by maturing in faith. I like what Teddy Roosevelt said. Old age is like everything else. To make a success of it, you've got to start young. 
You prepare to age when you're young. If, if you wait till you get there and you're like, all right, now I'm not going to be a cranky old man. I'm going to start working out. Too late. Too late. Everyone around you is like, F. All right, you're failing old age. But I love what it says here in Deuteronomy 34, 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. How many spry, joyful, happy, energetic, vigorous, 120-year-olds do you know that would say yes to climbing a mountain, right? Let's just start that. Let's just start, you know, a senior club, you know, elderly club, 80 and up, mountain climbing team. All right, let's do that. 80 and up. You got to be 80 and up to join it, and we're all going to go climb a mountain somewhere. Moses was on that team, and it says his eye was undimmed. A lot to be said for that. He goes in for his eye checkup, and he's like, yeah, I can read the bottom line. His eye was undimmed, and his vigor unabated. His, do you know the Lord can keep you spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally strong? If you age well, and you mature, and you mature, you don't jump back into your spiritual pajamas and act like a child when problems come your way, right? Why do I have to put up with this? I'm too old for this. Grow up, all right? Moses keeps growing up every year. He doesn't glorify an infancy or try and get back to the toddler years emotionally, throwing tantrums and making everyone around him miserable. He was 120 and his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Send me in, send me in, send me in, I'm going to kill those giants. There's a lot to be said for that. Are you aging well? Are you maturing in faith? The test of time can be the hardest test to pass. Any problem that comes into your life can be a challenge, a health problem, financial crisis, a relational blowout. I mean, this can test your faith, words people said to you. Time makes any trial harder, right? They, they said it. They said that. And a year goes by, and they still haven't apologized. And two years goes by, three years. Time makes any trial harder. We go to the doctor. Well, we found something, okay? What do we got to do? What do we got to do? Three years later, they're still trying to figure it out. Time makes any trial harder. And if you're not ready to pass the test of time, you're going to rust. You're going to fade. You're going to decline. Little by little by little, you will lose your zeal, and you'll drift from the Lord. Are you aging well? Moses overall did well. He was strong. He was zealous, and he was godly. Even though he made some serious life-changing errors that were avoidable in his final years, overall he did well. Are you doing well? Are you aging well? Jot this down. And every believer, every person has to face the challenge that pass the test of dying well. Age well by maturing in faith. Die well by believing in Christ. Die well by believing in Christ. Don't know when it's going to happen, but everyone in this room will have to pass the test of dying well. Dying with honor. Dying with faith. It says here in verse 5, Moses, the servant of the Lord, died. The Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. God doesn't take your death lightly. Um, but death is the great equalizing factor. It doesn't matter what your bank accounts say. It doesn't matter what your possessions say. It doesn't matter what your address says. It doesn't matter what your what letters you have after your name and degrees you've earned. Death is the great equalizer because that all just gets swept away. Then you stand before an almighty God. Death, die well by believing in Christ. We learn about who Moses is. Who is Moses? One of the greatest men who's ever lived. 
What is Moses? Just a man. Just a man. That's it. That's it. 100% man. 0% God. He died. He died and God put him under some ground. And whatever you think you are, you think you're big, you think you made it, you think people should look up to you, they're, they're going to bury you like a bone in the end. Okay? Like a bone. You're going in a box. History will probably not remember you. Moses died. He was 100% human. Yet when he looked to the future, he spoke to the Israelites of one who would come. One, he said, one like me will come. Listen to him. That's in Deuteronomy 18. And it's made clear in the New Testament that Moses spoke of the Messiah. He spoke of a deliverer like him who would do greater things than him. If it could be imagined, Moses died looking to Christ. If you read your Bible carefully, we actually believe that this angelic-like being who keeps showing up and talking to Moses and meeting with him in the tent, that with the rock in the wilderness, the New Testament identifies that as Jesus. So Moses actually spent time with a pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus revealing himself before he was born, and Moses looked ahead to the day when this Messiah would actually come down in power. Moses died well. He died in the hands of God. There was one person attending Moses' funeral, and it was God himself. This was a protection so they didn't make his grave into an idolatrous altar or anything. But God called it. You're going to die. You're going to die now. God knows your time. Hey, is your soul prepared for departure? Are you aging well by maturing in faith? Are you preparing to die well by believing in Christ? What an example Moses lays down for us. Well, that should have been the end of the story. Book closed. You never hear from Moses again. Maybe we'll meet him in heaven, you know. And then something awesome happens in the New Testament. So turn in the New Testament. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 17. I'm also going to draw from Luke's account. Because in Luke 9, he also talks about this. And Luke supplies a little more detail. So we're going to draw from both Matthew 17 and Luke 9. If you're like, that's not in the Matthew text, it's because Luke talked about it. Okay. So in, in Matthew 17, let me catch you up. Peter had just confessed Jesus as the Christ. Pharisees and Sadducees were demanding signs. Jesus took his disciples away to a mountain. Mountain, mountain. Good things happen on a mountain. And here in Matthew 17, it says this. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. Listen, listen. And his face shone like the sun. I was walking up the stairs today, and somehow the sun shone through my bedroom window and caught me for a second. And I was like, ow! His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light, which means his whole body was radiating light as bright as the sun, and it was shining through his clothes. And behold, there appeared to them, who? 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 Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents 
here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice in the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Now Luke adds a few more details that are helpful and and fun. He says that they went up on the mountain, and Luke says that his face was altered, his clothing became dazzling white. Two men were with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory, and it says they spoke of his departure, which which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So what did Jesus talk to them about? We know he's talking about what was about to happen in Jerusalem his crucifixion, his death, and his departure. The word departure could also mean exodus, his exodus from this world, which was about to happen. Now, Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, so they were woken up by this. They were sleeping. And then when they became fully awake, they saw his glory, and then Peter started talking, right? So what do we get from this story? Well, the question is, is your soul prepared for arrival? Moses died, Moses departed, and he went somewhere. Because 1,400 years after his death, he appeared miraculously on this mountain, alive! Alive! And and pretty awesome, he wasn't a zombie. Okay, That would have created a more frightening thought. A 1,400-year-old Moses, what do you even look like after rotting for 1,400 years? Shows up, he's like, ah, like, like a zombie, you know? He, he's alive, and he doesn't look like a 1,400-year-old zombie. He looks normal, alive. And, and Elijah appears too. Two of the greats from the Old Testament, he's there. And he's hundreds of years old too. He's like 500 years old. So you got a 500-year-old, or uh, actually he lived about 800 B.C. So you got an 800-year-old guy and a 1,400-year-old guy showing up on this mountain. We have a picture here of the mountain that maybe they were on. Some say it was Mount Tabor. Some say it was Mount Hermon. But there they were up on this. There's nowhere to run. There's like two dead guys and a glowing Jesus, and they're not getting away. So there they are. Here's another picture of it. And Peter's like, should should we put up tents? Who knows? Because there's a glowing man, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 years days and maybe they were going to be there for a while he was so confused and they were asleep which is funny too have you ever slept through something important have you ever slept through like a movie ending and then you woke up and you're like what happened or the end of a sports game or something have you ever slept some of you fall asleep pretty easily sometimes people sleep through my sermon in the church can you believe it they do i don't i don't get mad i get even I'm keeping a list, and one day I will show up at your work and fall asleep right in front of you. <laughs> one of the reasons that we believe the Gospels are believable is the disciples, they, they don't treat themselves as heroes, you know? They're, they're, they're not like, we were glowing too. They were like, we were snoring. And then we woke up and said dumb things and didn't know what to do. Like, they were so honest about the fact that they almost missed it because they were asleep. Who was Elijah? Elijah was a big deal to the Israelites. They believe, Well, we know that Elijah was a prophet, one of the first prophets. He, he confronted kings. 
Uh, and he did so many miracles. He raised the dead, first one to raise the dead. And so they thought that he was going to come back to usher in the end times and welcome the Messiah. That's what the Israelites thought. In fact, when Jesus was dying on the cross, they said, he's calling Elijah. He's calling Elijah. Elijah was a big deal. Now, why Moses and Elijah? I mean, if you could look back into the Old Testament, you only pick two. Why Moses and Elijah? We don't know. But both Moses and Elijah talked to God on Sinai. So Moses did it in front of the Israelites, and, and God appeared in glory in front of Moses. Moses came down the mountain, and his face was glowing. Elijah uh, ran away after the Mount Carmel thing, and Jezebel wanted to kill him. So Elijah ran away and ran all the way to Sinai, and that's where God met him. Do you remember that story? And there was an earthquake, and there was a fire, and God's like, it's not, I'm not in that, I'm not in that. And there was a small whisper calling Elijah to the mouth of the cave. And then God said, why are you here, Elijah? And Elijah complained to God. Uh, God called back Moses and Elijah for an encore, which is pretty awesome. We read in Malachi 4, 2-5, which is Old Testament, hundreds of years before Christ, Malachi 4, 2 to 5, we'll put that on the screen. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise. Interesting, Jesus is glowing as bright as the sun. The Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for there'll be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Moses, Elijah, son of righteousness rising hundreds of years before it happened. And I think the disciples were like, connecting the dots. This was talking about hundreds of years before. The son of righteousness is rising. Moses and Elijah are here. Now, what do we learn about our own lives from this? Well, we learn that there is life after death. Jot this down. Do you believe in life after death? Do you, do you believe in life after death? Moses lived after he lived. Moses lived beyond the grave. What do you think happens one moment after you die? What do you think? Elijah, too, lived after the grave. He lived after he died. There are many opinions on what happens a moment after you die out there, <clears throat> and different religions teach different things. Hindus believe that you live millions of lives, thousands maybe. You keep coming back. So after you die, they would say you're reincarnated in something that <clears throat> reflects what karma has determined for you. If you've lived a good thousands of lives before, you come back in an improved state, if you come back in a less improved state, then you must have done something to deserve it. So that's a different view than ours. Atheists believe lights out, like a computer turning off. You're done, you're gone, you're nothing. You were nothing, and then you're nothing again. Some who believe in New Age teachings think that there's like this energy, and, and when you die, you like merge it's impersonal. You, you, it's like a merger into some energy, some warmth, some light, and you're not quite you anymore. You're more merged with some impersonal force. What do you believe? What do you believe? Because in 1,400 years, you'll be somewhere and you'll be something. In 900 years, you'll be somewhere 
and you'll be something. What do you think? Jot this down. Do you agree that there are only two destinations? Is your soul prepared for arrival? Do you believe that there are only two destinations? The Bible teaches that either you go to hell or you go to heaven. Heaven and hell are both in their transitory states right now, which means neither of them has been culminated. But the Bible does teach that the moment after you die, there's a sorting. There's a, there's a sorting. Uh, we learned that from the rich man and Lazarus. But there are, there are people in hell right now. And it's because of what they are when they leave this life. They're forever stuck in their sinful condition. Uh, they're, they're morally opposed to God. And therefore, they can't come into his presence. And that condition was temporary in this life and could have been altered, but it's permanent once you move on to the next life. You become something that is permanent. And it can never be changed or fixed. Some movies like to play with the concept, well, what, if, what if someone can get from hell to heaven? Or what if there's a journey ahead of me? But you lose perspective. You, you have to face the reality that when you leave this life, there's no more flesh and blood. There's no way for your condition to change. You just are what you are spiritually. Angels and demons show us that you can be stuck for thousands of years um, in uh, a condition that's against God. And so there will be a final place, a final time of judgment when everyone is brought before the Lord for a final judgment, but people are in heaven right now. What did Jesus tell the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Are you ready to cross over? Are you ready to stand before God? Last week, we learned about the verses that said, choose life, choose life. And we said that means choose Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Do you know that if you cross over today, that you'll enjoy God's presence forever? Do you know that 1,400 years from now, you could be standing in God's glorious presence, just like Moses? 900 years from now, you could be still standing in God's presence, like Elijah? And they weren't yawning, all right? They weren't yawning. They were like, oh, what a bore. Someone get us out of this prison, right? Are you ready to stand before God? There's a good question to ask in this text. Who will enjoy God's presence forever? Well, apparently, according to Moses and Elijah, a murderer and a moody prophet. Moses was a murderer. He's there. Elijah was a, he was a whiner. He really was. So, so was Jonah. But, Mo, but Elijah was a whiner. He ran away and he whined. He whined a lot. He, he whined so much. When God took him up to glory in the chariots of fire, he was whining the whole time. No one cares. I'm the only one. No one, you know, he's just, and he got called up to heaven. Both Moses and Elijah prayed to die while they were serving God on earth. Just take me. Just take me. I can't take him. Just kill me. Kill me now. I want to die, which is hilarious because Elijah prayed to die and God brought him up to heaven without dying. <laughs> no, I will not answer that prayer for you. Do you agree that there are only two destinations and have you chosen life? Where are you going to be in 1,400 years? Number one, is your soul prepared for departure? Number two, is your soul prepared for arrival? Do you believe in life after death? Do you agree there are only two destinations? Number three, jot this down. Trust Jesus to give you eternal life. Trust Jesus to give you eternal life. What do we learn about Jesus from this passage here? Well, it says here that his face shone like the sun. Shone like the sun. Show me in the Bible where Jesus claimed to be God. Show, how many of you heard that before? Show me in the Bible. Jesus never claimed to be God. Show me in the Bible. Where Jesus, his face shone like the sun. Like the sun. 
It shows us who he is. It shows us what he is. What is Moses? 100% man, 0% God. What is Jesus? 100% man, 100% God. Light emitted from his pores. Jesus wasn't leveling up here. It wasn't like he got some promotion, you know, like... He was, he was removing the veil temporarily and showing how Moses glowed when he came down Sinai. It's because of what he was near to. Jesus didn't glow as a derivative of God. See, God's presence came down after Jesus started to glow. Jesus, Jesus bursts into lightning white fire. It's derivative of what he is. Then God's glory comes down around him. Same nature, same nature. Jesus is God the Son. We see the superiority of Jesus here. He's greater than the greatest in the Bible. He is like no other. Moses and Elijah were merely servants of God. Moses died. Jesus is different. Athletes always debate who's the GOAT, you know, the greatest of all time. Who's the greatest of all time? Here's a picture of LeBron and MJ. Who's the greatest of all time? Who is it? <laughs> Seems like it's pretty clear. In the world, they debate who's the greatest soccer player of all time. Here's Messi and Ronaldo. Who's the, who's the greatest of all time? And the debate goes on. Who's the greatest quarterback of all time? Is it Peyton Manning or Rodgers or Brady or Jay Cutler? Who is it? <laughs> it may not be decided in our lifetime. Analysts will still be debating this one. It's like a Rubik's Cube. Listen, when it comes to who is the greatest in the Bible, there's no comparison. Okay, there's no comparison. Sometimes in other religions, like in Hinduism, they'll say, well, Jesus was probably one enlightened being. Eh. Okay. In Islam, they will say, well, Jesus is one of the prophets. Eh. His face shone like the sun. Like the sun. One scholar, Craig Keener, said, Jesus is the glorious Lord before, before whom all other heroes of the faith must bow. Jot this down. He's the light of the world. He's the light of the world. Here you have a man shining like lightning on a high mountain. Who is Jesus? What is Jesus? See, today we're spoiled because we watch these movies. We watch these movies where Thor comes down and shoots lightning out of his hands. And, and so we're like, well, Jesus' face shone like the sun, but I've seen greater things like that. No, you haven't. You have seen nothing. You have seen, you have seen what a computer nerd can do at 2 a.m. while he's eating White Castle and he clicks the lightning hand button. Click! Lightning hand, while a human pretends to not be human. Ah. In front of a curtain, and you're amazed. We've got pictures here of the Avengers movies being shot before a green screen. You know, Whoa, Captain America, you know, he was swinging over a train. No, he wasn't. He was hanging from a, like a shower rod. I mean, okay, act, act, act like you're... Like, there's a train under you. Oh, here's the next one. This is a funny one. You know, oh, God versus Hulk. God, no, it's a man with a toy holding on to a man wearing a rubber suit. Ah, 
It's nothing. Here's the next one. This is a funny one. You've got Iron Man and War Machine. Look at their suits. He can shoot energy from his chest. He's in pajamas. He's in pajamas pretending to be not human. All right. And then he stubs his toe going up the stairs, and he's got an owie later that day. Please, people, listen. I know we live in an age where there are uh, animations, there are computer effects, there's, right? No one has ever seen anything like this. Jesus' face shone like the sun. Like the sun. Okay. He was 100% God and 100% man. If you are living without Jesus, you're living without light. You can't see God yet. If Jesus is not the most important person in your life, you can't see God. He's the light of the world. If, if Jesus is just like one of the greats in your life, one of the many historical people who you are interested in, you've missed it. You've missed it entirely. Uh, heaven is a kingdom that belongs to the Messiah, Christ. It's his, not yours. And when you show up at the gate, there's one question that you'll have to answer. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Who is he? He's the light of the world. Jot this down. He died to take away your sins. He died to take away your sins. Here's this being flashing like lightning on a mountain. I mean, the whole world should have come and bowed before him. And yet, what does he do? He talks about how he's about to go die. I'm about to go die. He's telling Elijah and Moses what... Imagine being Moses and Elijah. You step out of the realm of death and suddenly, isn't it awesome that Moses got into the land? Isn't that cool? He begged God to get into the land. Let me in, let me in, let me in. And God got angry. Stop it. God knew what was coming though. Moses was going to get an encore and Moses finally got into the land. And he didn't just get into the land. He got in the land in front of the Messiah just before he was about to save the world. What a gift. What a gift God gave Moses. I feel like Moses' life was pretty awesome enough before he came back in the New Testament. Like, God's really pouring it on with this guy. What would, what would Jesus tell Elijah? Why would you call them back from the dead to tell them about the cross? Here's what I'm about to do. This is the new exodus. He's about to lead people spiritually out of bondage. He died to take away your sins. He talked about his death, and he told his disciples, don't tell anybody until after I die. He talked about his death. Well, what's with Jesus' death? Why would such an amazing, glorious being who deserves all authority, why would he die? Well, it's because we need a Savior. We need a Savior. You see, we can't access God's heavenly presence without our sins being taken care of. Moses gave the law. We've all broken the law. Uh, if your starting point with God is, I'm a pretty good person, you won't go to heaven because good people don't go to heaven. If your starting point with God is, I'm religious, I'm religious, I go to church, you won't go to heaven, because religious people don't go to heaven. Uh, saved people go to heaven. Saved people. And you're a lawbreaker in God's court of law. And you might be like, well, I don't sin as much as some other people. I like what John Stott said. He said, breaking God's law is like breaking a sheet of glass. If you throw a brick, it strikes one place, but it breaks the whole window. The same is true about God's law. You can't break it a little. You can't break it. Imagine a child. Well, I only hit the window in one spot. You broke the glass. Only one part of it. No, you can't break it a little. Breaking God's law is breaking God's law. And Jesus came to take away your sins and to give you access. Jesus alone 
has enjoyed God's glorious presence for eternity, as we see in this story. And Jesus alone, therefore, can lead you safely into God's holy presence forever. Jesus can give you access. Jot this down. Jesus is God's invitation to heaven. Jesus is God's invitation to heaven. It says in Matthew 17 that a bright cloud overshadowed them, and then the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. See Him. See Him. Do you see Jesus for who He is? Do you see Him as the Son of God who shines with eternal glory? And do you hear Him? Do you hear Him? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Don't close your eyes to the truth of Jesus. Don't shut your ears to the truth of Jesus because a voice boomed in thunder from heaven over Moses, over Elijah, saying, listen to him. The giver of the law listened to him. The first major prophet listened to him. You listen to him. What truth we get about Jesus here. He is God's invitation to heaven. Jesus didn't just come down from heaven. Heaven came down in Jesus. Jesus is the supreme sight and sound God sent from heaven to draw us to himself. Which is why David Bruskis said this, the Bible isn't a book about principles to live by, it's a book about a person to live for. Do you live for him? The Bible says to live is Christ, to die is gain. Is your soul prepared for departure? Is your soul prepared for arrival? Have you trusted Jesus to give you eternal life? Are you ready to worship him? In 1,400 years, will you be still standing in his glorious presence? Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. No one who's ever lived can make that promise to you. Only Jesus. I want to give you a chance to respond to what you heard and to what you've seen in the Bible today by praying to the Lord. Let's all close our eyes and bow our hearts and let's pray to God right now. Father, I know that there are some here today and they don't know where they stand with you. They don't know where they would go. They don't know where they'll be in 1,400 years, but they are ready to worship Christ the King. They're amazed at the stories of Jesus, and they believe that Jesus is the light of the world. Father, for those right now who are ready, I just give them an opportunity to pray in their heart by saying this, Father, forgive me for breaking your law. Forgive me for turning on you and for living life the way I desired. Wash away my sins. Jesus, I believe you are the light of the world. Jesus, I believe that you died for me and that you rose in glory. Jesus, I trust you as Savior and Lord right now. Father, I pray that you would remind those who are crying out to the one whose face burned brighter than the sun. Pray that you would remind them that Jesus said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Jesus, you promise that you will be with us always to the very end of the age. Fill us with reassurance from heaven that you are with us and in us and therefore, we're unstoppable. 1,400 years from now, we'll still be singing your praise and glory with the angels and the saints. What a hope, what a joy we have in Jesus. And we pray this in his mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.